0: Good morning, good morning, good morning, welcome to Village Bible Church, if you guys can find a seat, good, morning. good to see fellowship happening, it's always interesting to break it up, but we have Super Bowl parties today, so if you really want to fellowship more, you can go to the Super Bowl party, um, this question has already been asked of me this morning by my wife, who's playing, it's the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, okay, so You don't have to care that much about it. It's fine. Um, Yeah, personally, I watch a lot more college football than NFL. We were talking about that, but uh, my college football team got knocked out in the college football playoffs two years in a row, so one of those fun things. Welcome. Uh, Acts 28, we're in verses 1 through 16 this morning. My name is Pastor AJ. I work with the kids, and I work with the high schoolers, Uh, so it's a little bit about me. I can tell you were eagerly excited to hear that. In 2014, I was 22 years old, um, and uh, went to visit one of my friends in Idaho. And we, when we were in Idaho, decided that it would be a really fun idea to drive up to a city called Chilliwack, British Columbia, uh, without snow tires on in the beginning of January through a blizzard. We made it safely and I came back and I arrived on the flight. Fine. So, okay, that story is weird, right? Because I just gave you like the ending details and set it up. as like, this is going to be really dramatic. Just like Luke does today in Acts. (laughs) Would you look at that? Luke finishes, okay, (laughs) thank you, Nate. Luke finishes this this book of adventure and uh, the explosion of the early church with one of the most dramatic scenes in the book, and the way that he does it, just as I was studying this week, cracked me up. Uh, the more that I looked at it, I was like, really, Luke, you you come across the... We ended 27 last week with a shipwreck, and people are about to be killed by the the guards, and nobody's killed. And, and Luke begins the shipwreck scene, and there's huge things that happen in it, but Luke kind of just goes, yeah, and anyway, uh, here's the next part of the story. So... I might touch more on that story later on to illustrate another point. But, um, yeah, Acts 28, 1 through 16. You can turn in your Bibles there if you haven't already. If you don't have a Bible, we'd like you to have one. There's some in the seats in front of you. The seats that don't have things in the pockets should have Bibles underneath them. Um, So we're like a small version of the Oprah show here. You got stuff under your seats. My jokes are really for four people. That's that's all that laughs ever. Paul and his uh, big band of misfits, about 276 of them, have been uh, taken captive and and on this journey supposedly to Rome, but you've you've noticed the past few weeks as Pastor Ron's taught, they've kind of been all over the place. The joke last week was it was a three-hour tour, and it's not. Um, see Pastor Ron's jokes get more laughs that's, that's <laughs> important to note. Um, it wasn't this three hour tour they're going all over the place they're being shipwrecked here they're being shipwrecked um, on Malta they're, the wind's sending them away and uh, you'd think that they're on their way to Rome and here it's been months and this, um, this band of prisoners has formed a, an interesting bond uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a minute verse 28, sorry, chapter 28, verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. So to catch up the end of 27, the the ship is breaking apart. They were throwing things off. They they were taking measurements, and the fathoms were getting closer and closer, and eventually they ran into this bay. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners because they thought if they escape, I'll incur the punishment of the escape, and will be killed. So if we just kill them, everything is good. Luke breathes over this whole shipwreck scene and says, we were brought safely through. Now, there's a lot of subtext in this section that I just want to pull out for you. When he says, we were brought safely through, who brought them safely through? It was the Lord. The Lord's hand has been on this the whole time. So one of the the part of the title of this sermon is, Uh, God's sovereign hand. And, And we've been talking about God's sovereign hand over and over again. And hopefully it's been beaten to death because this is important for our lives as well. God's sovereign hand brings them through. Luke says, we were brought safely through. In the middle of this shipwreck, they landed safely on an island. We were brought safely through by God and his sovereign hand. He says, we learned that the island was called Malta, a way of saying that would be Miletus in Greek. The island Malta, actually, I was looking this up. It's interesting if you compare it to Catalina. Malta is about 17 miles long. Catalina is 22. Malta is 8 miles wide. Catalina is 9. So if you think of Malta like Catalina, kind of the same thing going on there. So they shipwreck on Catalina, Shipwreck here on Malta. This, Malta was uh, a province of the Roman Empire, uh, a little subsect part of it. Um, it had people who uh, were natives to the, to the island. And we're going to talk about that here in verse 2. Uh, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire. Let me pause again really quickly. There's so much subtext here. I just have to unpack it all. The native people. Uh, any Greek enthusiasts here know what the term for native people is? It's barbarian. Yes, barbarian, very good. Paul talks about this, right? Uh, In Colossians, there's neither barbarian nor Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. They arrive in a shipwreck, and he uses this what's become a derogatory term for the native people of the land. They run into barbarians, um, which really just means native people. And there's a lot of subtext with that word. Barbarian is assuming that they're not cultured like the rest of the Hellenistic people of the time. They're not speaking Greek. They're not interacting the same way that people would normally interact if they knew the Greek customs and the Greek culture and had the hospitality the Greeks would have. So he says we shipwreck, and these barbarians receive us. And then he says with unusual kindness, with unusual kindness. And this kindness is about to be described. You already saw they're going to start a fire for them. Um, this kindness is only unusual because they're barbarians. This kindness, this hospitality would actually be very typical for normal cultured Greeks, Romans. Um, just to, to catch you up, uh, if, we don't understand all the history of that because i just said greeks romans and those are two different people the greeks had taken over right a lot of people were speaking greek at the time it was really the lingua franca of the time uh and then the romans had taken over that greek empire now it's under roman control and so when i say that they're greek speaking or hellenistic that's really the the culture of the time was absorbed by the romans there so the romans here own this province and they have these people living on it who were showing unusual kindness and What baffles me in this story, this unusual kindness, is that they see a a crew of prisoners shipwreck on their island. And it's cold, and it's raining, and they're swimming to shore. And the response of the Miletans, the people of Malta, are to receive, to love, to sacrifice. That's just nature for them. They don't see them and they go, oh, no, prisoners, let's board up our windows and lock our doors because the prisoners are coming. They say, how do we best care for them? They noticed the needs that the prisoners had. They just swam. They were wet. It's raining. It's cold. Um, Another little uh, fun fact about this, this happens in the beginning of winter here. So they're here really for the winter. Um, We'll touch on, on another Fun fact about how they leave and the date that that probably was. Native people, they showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and they welcomed us all. Again, prisoners, 276 of them, welcomed by the native people. Welcome to our island, prisoners. They kindled a fire and they welcomed us all because it began to rain and it was cold. Now, if you're thinking about how big of a fire did they have to kindle on this beach to for two hundred and seventy six people, it was big It's a big fire um, this is This is where Luke does this fun stuff with his story. Um, paul 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 at this point is is one of the like the head prisoners. Remember earlier on he was like, "Hey, if we go this way, it's going to mess us up it's going to be." Damaging for us. Uh, We're not going to, the ship's not going to make it. And they kind of ignore him. They're like, yeah, whatever, Paul. And they go that way. Uh, In Acts 27, 23, Paul talks about how uh, the Lord's promised him that he and everyone with him is going to make it safely to Rome. So they know the end of the story. They know that according to Paul, the Lord has promised them they'll make it safely to Rome. Kind of changes your perspective. When you know the end of the story, when you know hey, at the end of the day, we're going to make it to Rome. And for Paul, it really changed his perspective because now he lives everything in light of this. He lives every interaction. The ship's breaking up. It doesn't matter. I know the Lord's got us. I know he's going to get us safely to Rome. Before we allegorize this in our minds, let me just be really careful and say, um, to say that the Lord is safely going to bring you through every single thing and event in your life is just not biblical. Um, he hasn't promised us that. In fact, Jesus has really promised us that we're going to endure many trials, uh, many difficulties. So, I don't want to jump that. The Lord's safely going to bring us through every single thing. However, if the Lord says that he's going to safely bring us through something and he's called us to something, he's going to call us through it, right? That's where we rest. We don't rest on everything that... We ever go through is going to be a-okay because uh, we have Jesus. Now, of course it is, but it doesn't mean it's going to work out for our ultimate um, safety, really. It will work out for our good and for the Lord's glory. Of course it will. So Paul knows this. He knows that the Lord's called through these things. Paul shows up and they, they make this fire and Paul's new to this island and he just steps right in and he's like, okay, cool. They made this fire. You know what, a good fire needs it needs fuel paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire and again that's a really weird note especially in luke luke's writing here in acts 28 you can tell that it's this abbreviated chapter with a lot of detail so why include that paul is walking around and picking up sticks that seems like it might not be a main detail uh, few reasons He's trying to show us Paul's character here. Paul is this man of God who does everything he can to serve. Paul is never putting himself first. Is Paul cold and wet? You bet he is. Paul's going around gathering sticks. He grabs these sticks, and this this always cracks me up when I read through Acts. And he puts them on the fire, and a viper came out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Here's a thing that I read this week. Venomous snakes are not native to Malta. Hmm. Hmm. Some of you just appreciated that I said venomous and not poisonous, and I could tell. (laughs) Venomous snakes are not native to Malta, Um, at least not in the past 2,000 years. They they know where the island is. Um, We do know that it used to have this lush forest covering that it doesn't have anymore, so possibly they were there back then. Um, It seems like the natives know Oh, this is a good week to talk about this because the Dyke family isn't here. Um, I'll I'll touch on that in a second Why I said that. Um, (laughs) Their name was going to come up in this text, just as a heads up. Um, So he gathers these sticks, and the viper wraps around his hand, and uh, all the people are watching this. They're like, look at this prisoner. Just put these sticks over there, and there's a viper that's fastened around his hand. You're thinking, why did it have to be snakes? When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another. So the the barbarians are looking at each other, and they're like, look at this. Look at this snake on this guy's hand. I love the way that Luke sets this up, by the way, because it looks like there's this intense scene where there's a venomous snake on Paul's arm. Native people are like, interesting. Hmm." (laughs) Look at how there's a snake on his arm. Uh, (laughs) Like, There's not a lot of panic going on. It reminds me of when... um, (laughs) <laughs> no, nah, I'm not gonna tell that story. <laughs> I'll tell. I'll tell it, just to be honest. Um, the first youth event that uh, Justin and I did, we we were cooking steaks and French fries for the high school guys, and uh, they were playing hockey in the gym. And I walk into the <laughs> I walk into the kitchen, and there's just this grease fire, <laughs> and I was like, interesting. Uh, and Justin's got a swim on. He's like, what puts out a grease fire? <laughs> um, it's like it's either flour or baking soda, which is always the right place to be. Joey's already shaking his head. It's not. <laughs> it's not up to code there. Um, I believe it's baking soda that puts out a grease fire. Yeah, so we we threw a handful of it on it and it went out. Um, miracles. Uh, Paul has his own version of grease fire. There you go. Uh, and uh, this viper wraps itself around his arm. And the, and the natives, according to Luke's like narrative here, which again. I'm, I'm kind of interpreting the, the subtext here. Uh, the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand and they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Justice is capitalized there, isn't it? Which means the, the English translators saw that this was supposed to be a proper name. Let me tell you how it's spelled in Greek. D-I-K-E. Justice has not allowed him to live. Now, it's pronounced decay. Uh, the, the E should be elongated there. Uh, a Greek god of justice. Um, this this Greek god was often associated even with the sea and the sailors who would travel. They saw this god as as someone who had this authority and would really decide who should and shouldn't be living, especially if they were a murderer. So they, they watched this, and they were kind of like, oh, Look. Modern term karma just happened because justice didn't allow him to live. We're going to talk about syncretism in a second, by the way. Um, justice didn't allow him to live, and you could you could already tell like the wheels turning in the natives' minds. They have their gods, and and they watch this guy have this viper fastened to his arm, and he just what happens? He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Uh, could, have been, like, could have been like a whole movie And Luke just really summarized that for us in a sentence He shakes off this viper And throws him to the fire And he suffers no harm and moves along Now let me just I, I've been teasing Luke a little bit and I'm probably going to have to apologize for that When I get to heaven um, Luke's running out of room on this scroll uh, And so he's kind of having to shotgun things in there and so I'm hoping to provide more subtext and more of this explanation so that we can see what exactly is going on as he's shotgunning things in there. Uh, Paul does this shake-off, and the snake falls into the fire and burns up, and everyone's fine. Um, he, he paints it almost as this really calm scene where Paul's just like, oh, whatever. Now, it's, it's, there's a lot more of that subtext, as I've been saying, because in Acts twenty seven twenty three, Paul was promised that he'd make it safely to Rome. So when the snake wraps itself around his arm, he's like, "What? That's weird." Anyway, um, because he knows the end of the story, right? He knows he's going to make it safely to Rome. He knows that the snake's not going to do anything. Just like the shipwreck really didn't phase him. He's like, "Hey, we're all here. We're going to swim. We're going to make it. It's okay." Uh, Paul just has this complete faith and trust in what the Lord said he's going to do. Almost seems like an application point. We'll come back to that. So the natives were waiting for him to swell up, verse 6, or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Oh, so close. Uh, They begin this whole scene with um, the god of justice has executed exactly what his role should be, and uh, now the people are going to suffer uh no in fact paul doesn't suffer and the natives say he is a god no uh we don't get the the subtext here from the sorry the context here from luke that uh paul refutes this but we we can trust from the rest of the book of acts uh when paul is called a god before uh that paul refutes it because that's his character um paul is not a god in fact he worships the one true God. And he's going to show them that in a second here. Point number one in your notes. The weary travelers are protected by God's sovereign hand. And they're shown hospitality from the locals. So those blanks are protected and Hospitality. What what, an, what a night. I mean, they, they shipwreck, their boat's broken up, they're stuck on this island, a snake attacks Paul, and that's, that's the night, that's the whole night. Um, but already the locals are seeing immediately in one night, there's something different about this Paul. There's something different about who he worships or, or who he is. Verse 7, now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the land named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Now, chief man of the land would be this, really title, it would be um, Protoss, the first man of the land. Uh, he, he has this ranking um, position of authority given to him by the Roman government over the island of Malta. And so he would definitely have land here and a place for people to stay. The, the consensus among the commentaries was that they don't have a place for 276 people to stay. He does not have a place for that many. So who is he talking about? He's talking about Paul's centurion, the, the, the guard over them. He's talking about um, Paul's personal guard. And he's talking about Luke and probably just a few other prisoners get to stay here. With this man. Now, this is not the first, this is not the last time that we'll see Paul shown special favor by somebody in a place, um, by authorities, which is interesting, right? Because Paul is a prisoner on trial on his way to Rome where he's going to appear before Caesar. So there seems to be an undertone wherever Paul goes that his appeal to Caesar, just like when Festus and Agrippa said the same thing, wasn't really necessary because Paul's not really guilty of doing what they said he was going to do. Um, Paul's innocent. And it seems understood by everyone that Paul's around, that this man is not guilty of these crimes that they said he committed. So he's shown special favor on this island. And I love how this story goes because it reminds me not of, um, not of just Paul or the book of Acts, but it reminds me of Old Testament prophets. Uh, so Paul's going to crash land on this island, and he stays with this guy, and look what happens. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Dysentery. If you've ever played Oregon Trail, this is it for you. Um, Hippocrates would say that uh, fever and dysentery uh, was almost a sure death of the time. Now, you'd probably be thinking, how do you measure a fever back then? Because they don't have the the little guns that you point to your head. They don't have the same thermometers. So a fever, to be noticeable, would have to be bad. right? They're not calling out of work sick with a 99.6. This thing is bad. It's laid him in bed. This man, the chief man of the island, right, the first man of the island, his father is the one laying sick in bed. So we can even assert from context that this father of his is not young. He is older. He has fever. He has dysentery. It's not going well. Almost a complete death sentence. From the philosophers of the time, I quoted Hippocrates, but there's others who would say, um, dysentery, fever, basically a death sentence. Uh, so, what happens? Well, we we know what happens because we're believers. We know that God's going to work. It happened that the father of Paulius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. I love this this imagery. Do, do you think that you need to put your hands on someone to heal them? No. But I love the imagery that Paul uses, and, and Jesus uses the same thing, laying his hands on people to heal them. It's this um, presence, this, this physical showing of, of care that people need physical touch in some regard, a healthy way. So Paul encounters this older man with fever and dysentery, something that he very well could catch. And he kneels down and he lays his hands on him and he prays. And Luke can't give us all the story here, but he just gives us this quick snippet and says, Paul put his hands on him, Paul prayed and healed him. God heals this older man laying sick with fever and dysentery. What an insane story. Now when this had taken place, and we've seen this uh, in the Gospels, Jesus begins to heal in a place, and all of a sudden all the sick are brought. Um, Everyone on Malta begins to bring their sick who need healing. And you would bet um, that Paul, by the way, don't, don't bet on the Super Bowl. That's foolish. Um, You would bet that Paul would be sharing the gospel with these people. Um, That people are becoming saved. Paul doesn't just lay his hands on him. Luke includes that little bit. He prayed with him and healed him. Paul's not saying that his authority is coming from himself at all. Paul's putting his authority back on the Lord. Paul's putting his hands on him and saying, Lord, you can heal this man. And God does. And the sick are brought... Uh, What what a weird place for a gospel advancement. This remote island. Does God have a way in his sovereign hand? Absolutely. A shipwreck happens here, and and Paul, of all people, is on the ship. And Paul begins to bring the gospel to the island of Malta. God didn't forget about this small island, this Roman province. He didn't forget. He knew he had his sovereign plan the whole time, and he used Paul to bring the gospel to here, even in his imprisonment, even in his imprisonment, this is so big to me. This this overarching category, and it's so big to Paul. He uses this in First Corinthians seven, um, and I think that I share this often. But your situation is an assignment from the Lord. Everything about it, the Lord has assigned you to that place in this season. Paul didn't see his shipwreck as an unfortunate event. He saw it as an opportunity that the Lord gave him for gospel advancement. Your school, your job, is an opportunity for gospel advancement. It's not an accident. Those people that you interact with, the same guy that you see on your walk every day, that you forget his name but you know his dog's name, <laughs> opportunity for gospel advancement. That was autobiographical. I do that often. Um, The rest of the people on the island came, and they had diseases, and also came, and they were cured. They also honored us greatly, verse 10. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. The hospitality of these people is just immaculate. Um, Paul and Luke arrived, and they referred to these people as barbarians. Um, You'd think people without culture, without proper manners, without proper... um, interactions at all and these people are just overwhelmingly abounding with hospitality and uh, and they receive the gospel beautiful part of the story uh point number two paul prays and god heals many people on malta praise and heals are the two blanks there paul prays god heals many people on malta god is the healer and i think that that luke is assuming that we know that um, paul is not this magician or this mighty man in and of himself it's the lord who's working through him paul constantly if you read his letters gives the lord credit and glory for everything the lord's doing through him and in him so this is sort of the the climax of these past few chapters that what we're about to see is what paul has said that the lord told him he's going to do the whole time he's going to make it to rome Interestingly, three years earlier, Paul wrote this long letter, 16 chapters in length, to the church in Rome. After three months, three months, they spent the entire winter there. We set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria. Three months. Do you know what the scholars say was the date that they set sail? It was early February. We're in the anniversary of it. Isn't that crazy? Um, early February, they set sail for Rome. Now, this this ship had also wintered there, meaning they decided that they couldn't really sail for the winter. Normal, uh, normal of the day that, that ships carrying cargo or people would not chance it, but they'd dock for a while. Uh, there, is, there is a main port in Rome that Paul and uh, his companions are going to arrive at. Uh, and this ship is going to go there with them. Now, the ship is from Alexandria, and Luke describes it as having twin gods on them, on the ship. Um, Now, let's talk about that really quick. He says uh, it's a ship of Alexandria with twin gods as a figurehead. Twin gods are Gemini. Um, I just thought this was a really cool opportunity to say horoscopes are evil and syncretistic and have nothing to do with christianity so please don't pay attention to them um paul paul this is a this is a joke in luke luke's writing paul sees this as like it's funny that the lord is the one who's brought them safely through all these things um they were afraid of decay the god um punishing paul and executing his justice And now Paul sees this ship, and there's heavy irony set with it. It's got twin gods, the twin gods of Gemini. Really, the gods of the sea that would would be protecting sailors. Um, Paul knows the ultimate protector, and it's not Gemini. Um, It's not this uh, astrological sign that we use nowadays. It's God. Okay, verse 12. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, not a university, actually a Corinthian uh, developed and settled town, Syracuse. Um, Really developed in about 933 BC. This town has been there for quite some time, and I just love the Corinthian connection. Uh, We know that Paul, we have two of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. We know that there's more than that. Uh, We know that the other ones are not biblical canon so we're not really concerned if we find them or not. Um, But a lot of interaction with these Corinthians, and kind of a funny connection that they settle at Syracuse, a Corinthian state. Uh, They continue on, and they settle in a place called Regium, R-H-E-G-I-U-M, Regium. Um, Not much there. They only stay one day. After a day of Southwind sprang up, on the second day we came to Puteoli, Puteoli, sounds like cannoli because it's an Italian port. Look at that. Um, I, I love this scene. It almost makes me emotional. But they arrive at Putioli, one of the main ports in Rome. Just everyone would come here. Um, they arrive here. And I hinted at this earlier, but three years before, Paul wrote a 16-chapter letter. Now, of course, he didn't use chapters. He wrote a 16-chapter letter to the church in Rome. Can I, can I read a little bit of that for us really quick? By the way, it's the next page in your Bible, the book of Romans. Um, the, here, here's one of my favorite chapters in Romans um, is a, a flyover chapter. It's Romans 16. And it's, it's one of my favorites because this is Paul's um, family tree. And when I say family tree, I mean family like Christian, church. Because um, that's what Jesus means when he says family. So he walks through. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centrae, that you may welcome her in the Lord. This is Romans 16.1. You can just listen or you can read there if you want. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved epinetus who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They were well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved and the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. I know, I know that can get so like bogged down and weighty, but Paul just goes through the, these people in Rome that he loves. And he lists how he's interacted with them. Their mother welcomed me in. I spent time in their home. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the church who meets in their home. This is my beloved sister. These people were in Christ before me. Paul's coming to Rome is almost like this homecoming. Because he arrives in this place and there's so much history. There's so much history. Now Paul, even in in the book of Romans, was like, "I, I yearn to be with you. I want to come to you soon. And here he is. He's arriving. And what does that mean? Well, let's talk about what that means. We came to Pudilo. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. There we found brothers. The family of God is present in Rome. It is thriving. They have heard of Paul's coming. They knew that Paul was on his way. And when Paul arrives, it's a big deal. Now, again, Paul's arriving as a prisoner. I hope we haven't forgotten that. Paul is in captivity. He has a guard over him. He's, he's under like Roman captivity. He arrives and the brothers greet him. And again, Paul's earned so much favor with his guards and he's had so much trust built up that they just let him stay. They go stay with the brothers for seven days. We know you're not going anywhere. Paul's innocent. He appealed to Caesar so he could share the gospel with Caesar. So Paul appears here and and the brothers welcome him and they stay seven days. And the brothers there, verse 15, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. Uh, Forty miles and thirty miles away. That's that's a walk. Um, the, The commentators were saying it could be a long one day journey. Uh, this, this would probably be at least a two-day journey. Uh, people heard Paul was coming, and they were like, let's see our brother Paul. Let's welcome our brother Paul. I, I just love that concept of family in the book of Acts. And, and Luke has highlighted that so well for us this entire time. But the brothers and the sisters, when they hear of Paul's coming, they just rejoice, and they can't wait to see him. Now, let me highlight one more thing. Paul is a single man. And he is welcomed as part of this family for no purpose other than that he's a Christian. See, in the New Testament, family, the concept, isn't about blood relation as far as your birth blood. It's about the blood of Christ. So when Paul arrives and has no family that would probably own him at this point in his life, he's greeted overwhelmingly by family who's so excited to see him that they're running from 40 miles away just to greet him and have a chance to sit with him, to spend time with Paul. I had this conversation with a friend of mine. He was talking about um, how people can be most generous nowadays. He said, people will always have money. Um, People can have money and they can give it, um, but they're going to have more money. Here's what they can be most generous with, he said, time. Time is a resource that you won't get back. So when you give somebody your time, that's a generous gift that you're not going to receive in return. When somebody gives you their time, it's a generous gift that you won't receive in return. But look at how the Roman Christians don't even second-guess this gift. They're just running because they're saying the family of God is most important. I need to see if Paul's okay. 30, 40 miles away, they're coming to see him. They're around him. They're comforting him. On seeing them, look at this, Paul thanked God and took courage. Talked about what a night that was for Paul. That he was shipwrecked, he had a viper wrap itself around his arm, he had to shake it off into the fire, people were calling him a murderer. Paul has been on this long journey to Rome. And he talked about how he yearned to be with the Roman believers and look, Paul, Paul comes and he is immediately encouraged because he sees the family of God be the family of God, present, together. And he just thanks God, the presence of my brothers and sisters. Things like this put it into perspective for me. Uh, we can have our frustrations and our problems with God's family, but at the end of the day, it's the bride of Christ and these people are brothers and sisters who, if they know the Lord, we know that they would sacrifice their very lives for us. That's what Christians do. That's what followers of Jesus do. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. I'm sure that, that um, senior believers in this room could tell you about the times that they have worked with people and gone to people who, they may have had past frustrations with but in a heartbeat they would receive them because they have the same blood the blood of christ running through their veins that's that's the the beautiful picture of the church right here that paul arrives in rome and there's just like a immediate community that runs and fills i've heard stories of missionaries um, in parts of the jungle in south america just walking through and, and needing a place to stay because there's headhunters around and and Christians just receiving them and welcoming them into their homes because they're brothers because they're sisters, and we felt that too i'm positive you you meet a, a Christian and you immediately feel that in your spirit that there's this deep connection you, you just know that the Lord has binded us and bonded us together. I love that Paul was. He thanks God, and he takes courage. And again, Luke can't give us too much information here, but that's what he gives us. And you, you can just sense the relief in Paul to be here. When he came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself. Again, Paul a prisoner with the soldier who guarded him. Later, uh, later, manuscripts would include that he was allowed to stay by himself outside of the barracks. Um... It's not included in our Bibles, and it's simply because it was a later historical edition. Um, th- that is what happened, but it's just not biblical canon because it wasn't in the first manuscripts. Um, Paul's here in Rome, outside of the barracks, apart from the other prisoners, staying with his guard. What a, what a job for a Roman guard to be in around Paul just so close to this guy who's praying day and night. I think Pastor Ron touched on this last week. He's praying day and night. He's watching Paul worship. He's watching Paul. Paul yearns to read, if you remember the end of Second Timothy. He asks Timothy to bring the parchments, bring the books, because he, he wants to read. Um, Paul is just constantly studying, learning, worshiping praying everything he can do in the presence of god and this guard is near him and you you just know that this guard if he's not a believer at this point that he's on the verge watching this man say we're going to make it to rome i don't need to worry about any vipers these people can be healed because i'll sit over them and pray over them what a front row see this roman guard was given to the ministry of paul let me uh conclude god fulfills his promise to paul And God's family shows more hospitality as Paul's journey to Rome comes to a close. Paul made it to Rome, just like God said. That's not something we can just fly over. There were so many instances in the midst of that that you would have thought, Paul's not going to make it. Their ship just wrecked. How in the world are they going to be able to make it to Rome? They don't even have a ship. Oh, a viper wrapped itself around Paul's arm. He's going to die. Nope. Uh, Paul knew the whole time that he was going to make it to Rome. Uh, if somebody told you today the score of the Super Bowl and the final score and you watched the game and you were a big Kansas City Chiefs fan and they're, they're going to win um, and you're watching the Super Bowl and you know the Chiefs are going to win, um, are you nervous while you're watch- re-watching the replay? No, because you know the final score. Um, Just like with Paul. Paul knew he was going to make it to Rome. Why? Because God said he was going to. Paul wasn't nervous. Um, Was he going through trials and difficulties? You bet he was. I'm not sure that being shipwrecked on an island is an easy thing to do. But Paul trusted that the Lord said, you're going to get to Rome. And Paul's like, I know I'm going to get to Rome because I trust the Lord completely. You don't see a sense of of wavering faith in Paul. You just see him saying, the Lord said I'm going to Rome. I'm going to Rome. That's it. Lord's called me here. I'm going to get there. I don't know what the through means. I don't know how, but I know I'm going to be there. And I can trust completely. When the Lord says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. So, application number one God remains faithful even when we don't know what's happening. Be like Paul. Be like Paul is the application um man this this is a text that's so easy to read and appreciate Paul from a distance, but when it comes to being like Paul in the middle of difficulties and trials, that's hard uh, because we have taught we've been taught so much to to fix things on our own and do things by ourselves that uh we've we've almost tried to become self sufficient and that's really our culture in America that we want to be able to do it on our own and be by ourselves and And really not rely on anybody's help for anything. Because I'm my own man. Uh, It's just the, the problem with that is it's opposed to scripture. The Lord's the provider, not you. The Lord's the protector, not you. Not Gemini. It's God. So we see Paul's demeanor in his heart throughout this story. We watch Paul just completely calmly. Oh, I'm shipwrecked on an island. What ministry can I do here? Let's see, I can heal, I can pray, I can share the gospel. Uh, Paul's just so faithful in this place. So, for us, where are you? And how can you do ministry in that place? Even if that place is difficult, like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of here. I don't know, I didn't want to be shipwrecked on this island. I didn't want to be stuck at this job. I didn't want to be in this situation, health or family or whatever it may be. You may not have wanted to be there, but you know what? God's put you there. And if you're a believer, you can trust that God knows what he's doing. You can trust that when God says that he's going to work all things together for his glory and for our good, that he's going to do that. So we know how the story ends. We know that one day as believers, we're going to spend eternity in the presence of God. Praise God for that. Spoiler alert, right, if you haven't read Revelation. Um, You should read it, by the way. Uh, So in the midst of all that journey up to that point, the loss that you're inevitably going to feel as a human being, the difficulty that you're inevitably going to endure, how do you remain most faithful in those situations? Because God didn't accidentally put you there. He knows what he's doing. Be like Paul. I, I just want to. I, I know I just I just gave you this big thing to live up to. Um, it's going to be hard. I don't want to. I don't want to not say that. Like, I know that difficult things are happening. So just be like Paul and trust the Lord, for sure. Um, yes. Sometimes that's a process to get there, but can we start that journey? Can we start that process to say? Lord, I know this ultimate truth about you, that you are good, that you are provider, that you are sustainer, that you alone will give me everything that I need, and that this isn't an accident. Can we trust the Lord in that? That's a good first step. Uh, Number two, God works through prayer, and he continues to receive glory through the faithful ministry of Paul. God works through prayer, and he continues to receive glory through the faithful ministry of Paul. Just really quick... Side note on prayer: Paul, Paul just instinctually prays over these people because he's seen the Lord work through that. Um, there, there's not a lot of explicit times where Paul is going off to pray in Acts 28, but you know that that's part of his ministry because that's Paul, and that's what he describes in these letters: that he goes off to pray, he spends time seeking the Lord in prayer. I remember you constantly in my prayers. Paul's a man of prayer. Maybe if we can combine those two points, if if you don't know how to faithfully endure the season that God's given you, tell him that. Ask him for guidance and help. Um, Just really quick, you know this, but I need to say it. He's not going to be surprised that you're having a hard time. He knows. So finally... When we don't know how the story ends, and I don't mean the big story of your life because we know how that one ends. When we don't know how your trial ends, we don't know how the difficulty that you're going through ends. What is our posture and where is our faith? What is our posture? Are we trying to fix it on our own? Um, Many men are predisposed to do this on our own, um, myself included that when there's something difficult going on, we try to fix it and we can do it on our own and we can make it better. Uh, we get out of the toolkit and start using a screwdriver somewhere because that'll probably work. Um, do we trust that God is really the ultimate one who does this? Is our posture humility saying, Lord, I can't do this. I can't fix this on my own. I need your help. I need you to work. It's our posture, humility. Finally, where is our faith? Where is our faith? Um, is it in your finances? Is it this this set that if you had enough saved up, you'd be good enough and you'd, you'd be fine? You could retire comfortably and go pick seashells on the beach. Um, is your faith in your finances? Is your faith in... Um, having 2.5 kids, uh, having the most perfect-looking family? Is your faith in achieving the goals that society has given to us that we must achieve? Or is your faith in Jesus? Do you trust Him, this posture of humility and this faith in Jesus, saying, I'm going to be humble, and I trust that whatever the Lord's doing, He's going to do faithfully in my life. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you sit on your hands and you don't do anything it does mean that you trust that whatever the outcome is going to be, it's going to be for God's glory and for our good. We trust so much in in this short section here in Acts. And I'm just so grateful for Paul's example, and and I think that the situation is ridiculously difficult. And just to watch Paul calmly shake snakes off and show up in Rome, just like God said he was going to when the situation looked bleak, is so encouraging for me. To say when God says He's going to do something, He's going to do it. I can trust in that and I can rest in Him. Let me pray. Lord, you're a God who's good. You're a God who loves us. You're a God who um, desires for us to have complete joy and satisfaction in You and You alone, Lord. Some of these trials and difficulties you've placed in the lives here are for that purpose to draw us back to You so that we can rest fully in You. So I ask that You'd illuminate that this morning. Lord, You are a God of comfort, even in difficult situations. And I pray right now that people in this room who are enduring difficulties would feel your comfort, would feel your peace. Lord, help us to maneuver faithfully wherever you've called us and assigned us. Help us to love you well. Help us to honor you and glorify you completely with our lives. In Jesus' name.